would patrol the hills above and remove any of the leaves and the branches and the sticks that would muck up the spring and the pools of water. So there would always be a fresh flow of water in the village down below. Well, as you might imagine, in time, this little town became a very, very popular tourist attraction. There were graceful swans that floated in the pools. The mill wheels of business turned round and round, splashing clear water. The farmlands were naturally irrigated. The view from the restaurants was picturesque beyond describing. But many were unaware that the reason why their little town was what it was had to do with the keeper of the spring. They thought they were the reason why everyone wanted to come to their village. So one day, when the keeper of the spring happened to be in town, the town council called him into their chambers and informed him that they would no longer need his services. They could take the resources they were using to spend on him, to spend on something they felt was much more worthwhile. At first, nothing changed. But as the trees shed their leaves and his small branches snapped off, they began to muck up the spring and the pools of water above and down in the village below, the people started to notice a yellowish-brown tint in the stream and in the lake. And a few days later, the water became much darker. And within a week, a slimy film covered the dirty water, and it had a terrible smell. The swans left. The mill wheels stopped. The crops began to die. The villagers got sick, and of course, all the tourists went away. Realizing they had made a horrible mistake, the town council went out in search of the old keeper of the spring. And with great humility, they sought his forgiveness and pleaded for his help, and at their Simple invitation, the keeper of the spring went back to work. He cleared out the sticks and the leaves and the junk that plugged up and polluted the water, and in no time at all, the water below was clear and clean and fresh again. The sick villagers got well. The mill wheels turned again. The crops began to grow. The swans and the tourists came back. You see, the life of the village depended on the health of the spring. And Peter Marshall used to say, you are the town, and the spring is your soul. You see, the most important part of you, the most important part of me is not your body, it is your soul. It is your inner person. Because out of your inner person, 
affects everything in your life. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, Keep your heart, keep your soul with all diligence, because out of it come all the issues of life. The most important thing that you can do today and every day is to keep your soul. That's why I like a a great book by Pastor John Ortberg called Soul Keeping. Taking care of the most important part of you. It's an interesting book. John Ortberg was a pastor of a very large church here in America, and at the height of his ministry, he was burning the candle at both ends. He was incredibly busy with his family and his ministry. His life was so fast-paced, there wasn't a moment of room anywhere for rest or reflection, and he knew something was wrong. And so he called his um, mentor and friend, Dallas Willard, who is a a professor uh, about spiritual formation, about the soul, the inner person. He called him up for advice. Well, well, what do I need to do? And Dallas said, well, what's going on? And he began to describe his life, how busy, how hectic, how fast-paced it was. And finally he said, what do I need to do? There was a long pause on the other end of the line. And then Dallas Willard said these now famous words. He said, you must, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ortberg, he wrote that down and then he said, oh, that, that's, really, that's really, really good. What else do I need to do? Another long pause. And Dallas Willard said, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ortberg writes in his book, I've concluded that my life and the well-being of those around me depends on Willard's advice. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry destroys our souls. As someone has well said, Hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Not true. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Hurry, 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 hurry. It is a way of life for those of us in Southern California. And what we need is rest for our souls. It reminds me of the interesting story. A number of years ago, there were a group of Americans who wanted to explore the African countryside, and so they went over to Africa, and they hired some tribal guides to take them out into the countryside, and there were so many things they wanted to see, and so these Americans, as we tend to do, they were driving these guides. They were pushing these guides. Go, go, go. We need to go further, 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 and finally, they got to this one place, and the African tribal guides, they just sat down. They said, we're not going Any farther, we're not going to move. And the Americans said, well, why won't you move? And they said, we must pause to let our souls catch up with our bodies. 
the founder of that little devotional, Our Daily Bread, Henry Bosch said, if our schedule leaves no time for rest and nurturing of our spiritual life, we are just too busy. God does not ask us to be constantly on the go. I want to pause there for a moment. Others may ask that of you. You may ask that of yourself. But God does not ask us to be constantly on the go, rushing here and there. Sometimes God wants us to rest a while so that our souls can catch up. Dear ones, this is exactly what Jesus said in the passage before us in the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus said this, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am meek or gentle, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Again, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am meek or gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These famous words, these powerful words, these impacting words are found here and only here in the Bible. And so significant, so important are these words. The great London preacher Charles Spurgeon preached no less than 12 messages on that short passage. There's a wealth of truth there. And the key phrase, of course, is the phrase that ends verse 29. If you happen to have a pen, I want you to underline that phrase right now, where Jesus says, and you will find rest for your souls. Your soul. In the Bible, your soul is your inner person. It is your mind. It is your emotions. It is your will. It is your spirit. It's the inner person. And Jesus says here that your mind, your emotions, your, your inner person needs rest. Rest. The word translated rest here, anapausis in Greek, means a renewing, a restoring, a refreshing, as much as your body needs rest. Even more, your mind, your emotions, your spirit, your inner person needs to be refreshed, needs to be renewed, needs to be restored. Someone asks a great question. How can I get rest for my soul? I'm glad you asked the question. Because Jesus gives us the answer right here. Now, here at Refuge Bible Fellowship, you are careful students of the Word of God, and you no doubt have been taught 
that whenever you want to know the meaning of a passage, what you often do is to look for the verbs, to look for the action words in the passage. And in this passage, there are three action words. If you happen to have a pen, I want you to underline them right now so you'll understand. This is about rest for your soul, and how do you get rest for your soul? Three words. Underline the word in verse 28, come. Underline the, ver- the word in verse 29, take. And underline the word in verse 29, learn. Come, take, learn. Come, take, Learn. Can you say those three words? Come, take, and learn. If you come, take, and learn, then you will find rest for your soul. How can we have rest for our souls? Well, number one, we'll see, you have to come to Jesus. Number two, you have to yoke with Jesus. And number three, you have to learn from Jesus. The first thing, if you and I want to have rest for our soul, is that we have to come to Jesus. Look at verse 28 again. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Every word Jesus has here is so important. Notice the word come. It's a beautiful word. In the original It's in a continuous tense, so it means this. Come and keep on coming. A lot of people read this passage and say, well, yeah, when I became a Christian, I came to Jesus, I believed, and and that's all I have to do. That's all I need. I came to him once. No, no, that's not what this means. What Jesus is saying is, come to me again and again and again and over and over again. Come to Jesus in the morning. Come to Jesus at noon. Come to Jesus at night. Come to Jesus on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Come to Jesus in January and February and March and April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, and start all over again. Come to Jesus and keep coming to him. Keep coming to him. Keep coming to him. Who can come to Jesus? Oh, I like this. Come unto me. Oh, (laughs) I love that word. I love that word because all in the Bible means all. (laughs) We serve a whosoever will may come Savior. Jesus doesn't say, come unto me all you rich or come unto me all you poor. He says, come unto me all. Whether you're rich or poor, man or woman, educated or uneducated, no matter where you are or who you are or what's going on in your life, come, come and keep on coming and coming and coming to Jesus. And all of us need to come to Jesus all throughout the day and every day. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows all about life. Jesus knows what happens in life. So there's a specific group of people that he invites. He says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. Two descriptions Jesus gives, weary and heavy laden. The word translated weary here is an interesting word. It's the word kapiao, and it means to labor, to toil, to be exhausted, to be worn out. You know exactly what that means. You get up early, you hit the freeway, you drive to work, you come back late, 
you lay down, you do it again and again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> and you become tired and weary and exhausted and worn out. But it's interesting, this word translated weary here, kapiao, can not only mean tired, weary, and exhausted, worn out. It can also mean, listen, to be discouraged, to lose heart, to want to give up. See, that's the mental and emotional side of this word, a very important thing. Because you can not only be physically exhausted and worn out, you can be mentally worn out. You can be emotionally exhausted to the point that you get discouraged and depressed. And you want to give up. And Jesus says, come unto me, all of you who are weary. What is it that makes us tired, exhausted, and worn out? What is it that makes us discouraged and depressed and want to give up? Those who are, notice, heavy laden is the word for tizzo. It means to be burdened down. It means to be weighed down with things. The things of this life put pressure and anxiety and worry on us to the point that you become weary and worn out. Tim Hansel in a, a great book I like called When I Relax I Feel Guilty. <laughs> he writes, Ours is the day of a half-read page before the road rage. The day of a quick hash to make a mad dash. The day of bright lights until our nerves are tight. The day of a plane hop for just a brief stop. The day of the lamp tan in a short span, the day of the brain strained until our heart is pained, the day of the short nap until the spring snaps. We hurry and we worry. And for what? And Jesus says, come unto me. Do you, do you hear his voice today? That still, small voice. But here's the thing. Everyone listen to me. Here's the thing. To come to Jesus, you must come away from the world. I'm going to say that again. To come to Jesus, you must come away from the world. You must come away from the television. You must come away from your computer. You must come away from the internet. You must come away from your cell phone. Because often all those things is the cause of the weariness that you and I experience. Oh, to come to Jesus, you must come away. You must come apart from the world. Here's an amazing passage in Mark 6 and verse 31. Jesus said, come apart with me and rest for a while. Jesus said to his disciples, Come apart with me and rest for a while. And John describes why Jesus said that. Mark 6, 31. Come apart with me and rest for a while. For they were coming and going and didn't even have time to eat. Of course, they're the only ones that would ever skip lunch because they were so busy. Of course, they're the only ones that would rush out the door without eating breakfast because they were so busy. No. Jesus said, 
to busy, busy people, come apart with me and rest for a while. And I like what the great pastor Warren Wiersbe used to say. He used to say, if you don't come apart with Jesus, you will come apart. And how true? Do you hear it? Do you hear that still small voice whispering to you? Come unto me. Come unto me. Come unto me. There was a very famous Danish sculptor. His name was Bertal Thorvaldsen, and he is world-renowned for his famous marble statue called the Christ. You can go to Copenhagen in a Lutheran church and see that amazing statue even today. But there's a fascinating story behind the making of that statue called the Christ. Thervaldson wanted to make a statue of Jesus and he wanted it to be majestic and regal. And so before he chiseled out the Carrera marble, he decided to make a model of it in clay so that he could get the statue just right. And he worked hour after hour, day after day, week after week, modeling this clay until he got it just perfect in his mind. And it was a statue of the head of Christ lifted up in glory, his hands raised in power and in authority. It was just perfect. And he went home that night. His studio was by the ocean, and somehow one of the windows got left open, and the night fog and the ocean air got in, and the moisture from that ocean air did something to that clay model. When Thorvaldson walked in the next morning, he saw the head, instead of being raised, was drooped down. And the hands, instead of being raised up, they they were drooped down. He was so frustrated and disappointed after all that hard work. But then standing in front of that statue, God whispered to his heart, that's how I wanted it to be. And so he began to chisel out that Carrera marble so that the face of Jesus was looking down and the hands of Jesus were open. And down below the statue, he chiseled the words that begin verse 28, come unto me, come unto me. Don't know all that's going on in your life. I felt like God sent me out here to remind me of these words of Jesus. Do you hear a still small voice saying, keep coming to me, keep coming to me. If we come to him, that's where rest for our souls is. But there's a second thing we need to do, and that is to yoke with Jesus. Interesting. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. And verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Someone asked, Pastor Larry, could you please explain that? That confuses me. So glad to do that. A yoke was something that was used in ancient times, even in our day, by a farmer out in the field. It was a piece of wood that had two holes in it. And what would happen is when the farmer wanted to plow his field, he would get two oxen and stick their necks in this yoke. And then he would put his plow behind it. And then they would go across the field. And Jesus talks about a yoke, a yoke. 
What does that point to? That points to a work that he has for us to do. The rest Jesus is talking about isn't a rest of inactivity. It's a rest that comes when you find what it is that Jesus wants you to do. Because there's a work he has for you. There's a work he has for me. As unique as your fingerprints are, as unique as your eyeballs are, so unique is the word that God, work God has for you. And when you find out what that work is, it will so delight you. It will so bless your heart. I remember uh, Pastor Chuck telling the story about when he was getting older, his kids told him, you know, you need to retire. That way you can go fishing or hunting or whatever. And he used to say, well, what would I do for fun? Because the work was a, a blessing to him, was a delight to him. And Jesus says, so interesting, he says in verse 30, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, this is so important. When he says my yoke is easy, the word in Greek is krestos, and it's an interesting word. Here's what it means. Comfortable. Well-fitting. That's how it could be translated. My yoke is comfortable. My yoke is well-fitting. You know what this word means. Because you've bought a pair of shoes. You go to the shoe store and you try on 50,000 pairs of shoes. Not that one, not that one, not that one. And then you find, oh, yeah, that's the pair. They fit so comfortably. They fit just right. And then you start wearing them, and they get more comfortable. They're old and worn out, but you don't want to take them off. Why? Because they're easy. <laughs> they're comfortable. They're well-fitting. And Jesus says, the work I have for you, it's just like that. Can I tell you, Jesus has a work for you that is custom-made. It is tailor-made. For you and only you. Think about it for a moment. This is fascinating. A yoke was made of wood and Jesus was a carpenter. Byron Ausberger, the brilliant New Testament scholar, tells of an ancient story, an ancient tradition about the father of Jesus, Joseph, and his carpentry shop. One of the things they used to make in that carpentry shop was yokes. In fact, the old story says that people used to come far and wide from all around Galilee because Jesus was known to make the most comfortable yokes. In fact, there was a sign over the door to the carpentry shop of Joseph that said, best fitting yokes made here. Jesus said, my yoke. It's easy. And my burden, I like this, my burden is light. Now, people in that time understood why it was light. You and I may not understand why it was light because, you, you see, the experienced farmer in that day did something rather interesting when he yoked two oxen together. What he would do is he would take an older, stronger, wiser ox and yoke it with a weaker, younger, inexperienced ox. So what would happen is when they would go through the field, the older, stronger ox would do all the pulling. And the younger ox would be like, wow, this is fun. This is amazing. This is enjoyable. 
And why is the burden of Jesus light? Because he's doing all the work. (laughs) If you're tired, weary, worn out, maybe it's because you're trying to do it in your own strength. (laughs) You're trying to do it in your own effort. You're trying to do it in your own abilities. Instead of yoking with Jesus, how do we yoke with Jesus? Well, yoking with him is a synonym, is a picture, is a metaphor of walking with him. Come to him, and then every day, all throughout the day, just walk with Jesus, walk with Jesus, walk with Jesus, walk with Jesus. Get real close to Jesus. And when you get real close to Jesus, listen, your life will really change. You're careful students of the Bible, so I issue you a challenge, Refuge Bible Fellowship. Read through the Gospels and find me one place in the Gospels where Jesus was in a hurry. Never. Never. Patient. Gracious. Loving. Get as close to him as you can. And when you walk with Jesus, oh, it begins to change your life. When you walk with Jesus, it begins to change your soul, your inner person. And you find that renewing, that restoring, that refreshing that you need and that you long for. My precious mama is in heaven and My precious mama used to love to sing gospel songs. And one of her favorite gospel songs was an old song called Just a Closer Walk With Thee. Really, it's a prayer. The words of the song are, I am weak, but thou art strong. (laughs) Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. (laughs) Through this world of toil and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares? Who with me my burden shares? None but thee, dear Lord. None but thee. The chorus, just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord. Let it be. Try it today. Leave yourself at home and go for a walk with Jesus. Just look at the beauty of his creation. Just talk with him. Watch what happens to your mind and your heart and your inner person. But there's a third thing that we need to do if we want rest for our soul, and that is to learn from Jesus, to come to Jesus, to yoke with Jesus, And then to learn from Jesus. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek or gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, learn from me. This is an amazing invitation. This phrase, uh, learn from me, manthano in Greek, means to be personally discipled by, 
to be personally tutored by. It's not some general thing. It's like a one-on-one. And think of it for a moment. The Jesus who knows all things about all things, he's calling out to you and me today, and he's saying, let me teach you. Let me disciple you. Let me work on one-on-one with you. Do you not see how astounding that is? If, for example, you wanted to learn to play the piano and Beethoven were still alive and Beethoven said, uh, meet me tomorrow at the piano and I'll teach you everything, everything I know about piano. I'd be right there. Why? It is Beethoven. If, if you wanted to learn how to paint a painting and Rembrandt were still alive and he said, listen, If you'll meet me in the studio tomorrow, I'll teach you everything I know about painting. Man, I'd be right there. Why? It's Rembrandt. If you wanted to learn how to cook, and Julia Childs were still alive, and she said, meet me in the kitchen tomorrow, and I'll teach you everything about cooking, I'd be there and say, teach me how to make brownies. Because she knows it's Julia Child. She knows everything about cooking. If you wanted to learn how to sing and Whitney Houston were still alive and she said to you, listen, you come into the studio tomorrow, I'll teach you everything about singing. I'd be right there. Some of you guys, if you wanted to learn to play golf and this afternoon you got a call from Jack Nicholas, and he said, meet me at the golf course tomorrow morning. I'll teach you everything I know about golfing. Man, I would be right there. Some of you young guys, if you wanted to learn to play basketball and Michael Jordan came up to you and he said, meet me in the gym tomorrow. I'll teach you everything about basketball that I know. I think you'd be there. If you wanted to know how how to play the guitar and lead worship and Chris Tomlin said to you, listen, if you'll just meet me at the church tomorrow and bring your guitar, I'll teach you everything I know about leading worship and guitar. Jesus is saying to you and me, I want to teach you. I want to teach you. And there are so many things Jesus wants to teach you. He wants to teach you how to be a good husband or how to be a good wife. He, he wants to teach you how to be a good, a good mom or a good dad. He wants to teach you how to be successful in business. He wants to teach you how to pray. He wants to teach you how to give. He wants to teach you how to use your spiritual gifts. There are so many things Jesus wants to teach you. But listen, we should not only come to him just begging and pleading for him to teach us because he's the most awesome, incredible teacher who knows everything about everything, but because of the kind of teacher he is. Look at verse 29 again. Learn from me, for I am meek. I am meek and lowly in heart too. Two things about Jesus as a teacher. He's a meek teacher, or some of the translations say a gentle teacher. Neither of those words really describe the sense of what's there. The word in Greek is the word praus, and here's what it means. Power under control. It was a word that was used in ancient times of the wind. The wind is powerful. A hurricane could destroy things. But when there is a gentle wind, 
when there's power under control, then all of a sudden the wind in the sail of a ship becomes very, very useful. It was used in ancient times of medication. If you give a person too much medication, they could overdose and die. But if you take that medication and you control, you, you, you take the power of it and you put it under control so there's a gentle dose, there's a meek dose of it, then all of a sudden it becomes very useful. It was a word to use in ancient times of a powerful stallion. He's so wild. But if you take all of that power and under the bit and bridle, you bring it under control, then all of a sudden it becomes very useful. Meek, gentle. Whenever I think of this word, there's an image that comes to my mind. It sticks in my mind. I'm sorry it's going to stick in your mind now. It's the image of Chuck Norris holding a butterfly in his hand. You know, Kung Fu Chuck Norris. And all of a sudden, there's this butterfly. He has the power to crush that butterfly. But he's holding it gently. And that's just like Jesus. He has all the power to do what needs to be done, but he's gentle. He's a gentle teacher. I mentioned my mom. My mom was a lightning fast typist, and one day I was asking her, Mom, how did you learn to type so fast? And she said, Well, I had a horrible teacher. So, what do you mean? She said, I had a teacher who used to cover up the keys with tape, and if we ever missed one stroke, she would take a ruler and beat our hands. Can I just tell you, Jesus is not like that? He's a gentle teacher, he's patient and loving when you and I make mistakes. But he's not only gentle, he's lowly in heart. Tape nos means to take a humble position. In other words, Jesus will not only come down to your level to teach you, he'll actually even get below your level to teach you. In the upper room, he was trying to teach his disciples about love and about being a servant. And you remember what happened. He poured water in a basin, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he got below those disciples. He got underneath those disciples, and he began to wash their feet so he could teach them. And that's the kind of teacher that Jesus is. He's a gentle, lowly teacher. Matthew 12 and verse 20 says, Of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. There's a reed that's bent and about ready to break. He doesn't snap it. He comes, and he's gentle with it. The smoking wick, he will not quench. That, like a, a, the wick of a candle, it's just about to go out. He doesn't snuff it out. He's, he's very gentle with it to, to coax that flame back into place. And Jesus wants to teach you he wants to teach me, what, what do you want to learn? What do you want to learn? Are you willing to learn? I pray. I pray as you hear Jesus speaking to you, that still small inner voice saying, I want to teach you, learn, learn from me. 
learn from me. I, I pray when you hear that voice today yeah. that you and me are like a young boy named Samuel of old who said in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 10, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I, I pray we're like David in Psalm 25 and verse 4 when he said, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me, teach me your paths. So many things Jesus wants to teach you. And he's teaching you right now through this message. He's speaking to your mind and your heart. And so much of what he's saying to you is that you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must come away with him. You must yoke with him, walk with him. You must learn from him. Because when you do, oh, what profound lessons he will teach you. It's like the lesson a young teenage boy in Japan learned in 1945 in a way he never, ever forgot. It's told by Billy Rose, a syndicated columnist in a famous story called The Tale of the Tardy Ox Cart. He writes, you see, there was a farmer with a teenage son in Japan, and several times a year they would load their ox cart with vegetables and go to the nearest big city to sell their produce. One morning, bright and early, they hitched up their ox to the cart, loaded on the produce, and headed off on their long journey. The hurried son figured that if they walked fast and kept going all night, they could make it to market by early in the morning and get the best price. So he kept prodding the ox with a stick, urging the beast, go, 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 go. Take it easy, son, said the father. All in God's time. All in God's time. But father, we go all night, we can get to the market, we can get the best price. But the father just said, all in God's time. All in God's time. Then as they journeyed on, the son grew more irritated as the father stopped by the roadside to find a comfortable spot to sleep for a few hours. A few hours later, the son wakes up his dad. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. They got back on the road. They were only a mile down the road when they saw another farmer, total stranger, who was trying to pull his cart out of the ditch. Let's help him, said the father. What? said the son. And lose more time? But the father said, all in God's time. All in God's time. And he got out of the cart to help the farmer. It was almost 8 o'clock in the morning by the time they got back on the road. Suddenly, there was a great flash of lightning that split a clear sky, and it was followed by what sounded like thunder. Then beyond them, the hills and the sky drew dark. Looks like big rain in the city, said the old man. But the hurried son just grumbled all the more. If we'd have hurried like I wanted to, we'd be there by now and would have already sold our produce. The father said, all in God's time. All in God's time. It was late afternoon, August 6, 1945, 
when they finally reached the top of the hill that overlooked the city. And when they saw the city, they stopped and stared down at it for a long, long time. Neither of them said a word. They just sat there in stunned silence, looking down on what had once been the city of Hiroshima. You see, that's where the atomic bomb was dropped. And if they had hurried, they would have been there when the bomb was dropped, and they would have been killed. As they turned to walk away, as they got in their cart to drive away, the father said to the son, all in God's time. All in God's time. We used to sing a little chorus called In His Time. The words, in his time, in his time, God makes all things beautiful in his time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you'll do just what you say in your time. Rest for your soul. The most important part of you and me is not your body. It's your soul. It's your mind. It's your emotions. It's your inner person. And as much as your body needs rest, so your soul needs rest. And how do we find that rest? Jesus says, come unto me. Yoke with me or walk with me and learn from me. I finished this morning with a prayer. It's a prayer I came across a number of years ago, but I, it's a prayer that I find myself praying more and more in these busy, crazy, hectic days that we're in. It's a prayer called Slow me down, Lord. Slow me down, Lord. Ease the pounding of my heart and quiet the trouble of my mind. Slow me down, Lord. And steady my hurried pace with a vision of the eternal reaches of time. In the confusion and flurry of the day, give me the calmness of the everlasting hills. Slow me down, Lord, and help me to send my roots deep into the soil of your word and your presence that I might grow stronger and taller in thee. O Lord, remind me throughout the day that the race is not always to the swift and that there is more to life than increasing its speed. Let me look up at the towering oak tree and know that it grew great and strong because it grew slowly and well. Slow me down, Lord, and help me to see that what I need most is to come to, to yoke with, and to learn from thee. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for these 
beautiful, powerful, wonderful words of our Savior. We thank you for this incredible invitation that extends through the centuries to us today right here at Refuge Bible Fellowship. Lord, the truth is we are hurried. We're so busy. And life so hectic and frantic and fast-paced. How we need rest for our souls. Lord, I thank you for all these precious people you've brought here today, each and every one of them, here by divine appointment. Somehow, in some way, you brought me here, you brought them here, Lord. You, because your love is so much, you want us to experience what only our Savior Jesus can give to us. Rest for our souls. So Lord, we, we pray you would help us to just simply do what your word says, to come and keep on coming to Jesus over and over again, and to yoke with him, to walk with him, and to learn from him. Lord, I thank you so much for Refuge Bible Fellowship, and I pray your greatest blessing on these wonderful people. I thank you for Pastor Rawl and Bettina. Bless them, Lord, as they're in Israel right now, and I pray, Lord, these last few days and hours of their trip would be the most meaningful of all. Lord, may they come back so excited, so thrilled, so blessed and encouraged in you, Lord, that it would just be contagious. And Lord, we pray that as we leave this place today, we will leave so encouraged in you, so uplifted in you, so thankful, Lord, that you love us with that everlasting love. We thank you, we bless you, we praise you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen.